Jonathan Edwards once wrote, Every Christian should make a business of endeavoring to grow in the knowledge of divinity. Join Adam Howell, Ryan Hanley, and Caleb Niedemeyer as they discuss living out deeply rooted affections. This is Oaks of Righteousness Podcast. Welcome back to Oaks of Righteousness Podcast. Uh, I'm Caleb Niedemeyer, joined as always by Adam Howell and Ryan Hanley. Uh, guys, we're, we're two for two on the, uh, the Thursdays that work for us. Yeah. So this is... Uh, this may be the start of the apocalypse. I'm not sure, but I'm just going to still vote that we don't air these once a week because then we have to set then we set a precedent that we <laughs> can't keep can't up that with. So yeah. do it like every other month. So this so. is two That's Thursdays right. in a row, but this is going to last us about six months worth <laughs> of airtime. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, six months between them. So okay. yeah, we'll, the last week's last Thursday will go out sometime soon, and then this Thursday will go out six months after that. Okay, and by soon you mean. In a while, when I decide to get around to editing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you should hire somebody for that. I should, yeah. Uh, and by hire, you mean have somebody do it for free? Yeah, will. Exactly. Yeah. Have Will do it. Have Will do it. Will, click these buttons, go. And Will is how old, Caleb? Uh, three and a half. Yes, three and a half. Yeah, he'd do a great job. He'd do a great job. Yeah. Years, three and a half years, not weeks. Dozens. Dozens. <laughs> As we often measure ages. <laughs> yeah. Because that was the first thing that came to everybody's mind. Three and a half years. Dozens of years. What was that? 30s? <laughs> mid 40s. Early, early like, 40s. Yeah, like 42. It's better than the units of monetary measure that I use in A&E history. <laughs> All right. So last week we talked a little bit about art and. In the last episode. And nature and using that. Yeah, because it won't really be that, a week that's when, right. when they air. So. <laughs> But we also talked a little bit a little bit at the end about how I had someone who took me through the art museum and, and kind of showed me how art worked. And, and Ryan, you talked about something along those lines. I, something kind of important. Yeah, I'm kind of blanking on that. It was but, a half dozen months ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> But I really wanted to talk about discipleship and the affections and how that plays into our walk with, with the Lord and... I'd really like to hear from you guys on on who has discipled you and how they did that and then how you guys are, are purposefully doing that uh, in your own lives uh, with the people around you. Maybe we can even dive into some of the family stuff there too, but um, I'd really like to, to hear how that has impacted your own hearts and your own lives. Like specifically or just wax eloquent? <laughs> wax eloquent, yeah. Uh, so discipleship... I mean, I think earliest would just growing up in a Christian home. Um, my parents were good about encouraging us in reading the Bible and praying. During, so I was homeschooled. Uh, there's the the big reveal um, for <laughs> the latter half of my education. And so you're trimming your fingernails. Over here. <laughs> this is the sound of me cutting <laughs> The metallic clicking you hear is, is Adam trimming this his fingernails. At least it's not. This, Toenails or this something. This is true. I just got hit in the face with one. Uh, Did you really? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, we would read the Bible every day as a family and uh, pray together just as a, a practice and a habit um, before we would start our school. And, you know, it seemed pretty normal at the time. There was nothing magical about it. No, like, great, amazing insights, I don't think, were ever just 
blown out of the water or anything like that. But it was just, it was, we were exposed to the Word every day, and we would pray, and uh, it's just a pattern of life. So that I think that was helpful in just developing that sort of habit or the pattern of reading the Word regularly. Um, when I went to college, um, I think I was, just some of the people that I had met, I was somewhat convicted about the fact that they just knew the Word much better than I did. Um, and especially when I came to seminary, and I think I've mentioned that on this on the show before, like people would just know the word. They knew what the word, you know, what the word said, and had large portions of scripture memorized. And I, you know, just became convicted that I wasn't reading the word faithfully um, on my own. You know, after we left the sort of homeschooled environment, you know, I would read the word with some regularity, but not just this daily kind of idea. So. All I'd say, discipleship-wise, growing up, parents were really good at, at mm-hmm. implementing regularity of reading the Word and prayer. And then um, in college, uh, my college mentor was really good at just pushing pushing a more personal application of that. And, so, and I don't know, you guys can kind of chime in on this. I feel like since then, the people that have discipled me have been kind of more irregular, kind of few and far between, or even more peer-based as well um, so I was gonna say, you know friends that like you guys just the, the challenge of everyday life and you guys challenge me to think about how the word applies to my life and things like that but yeah but how did that relationship come about because you're saying in college I had a mentor so how did that happen was that a a one to one relationship that the professor came out and singled you out that you went and singled the mentor out because I think that's helpful yeah. for people to hear how that so I think, um, so he was technically the campus chaplain, um, and I think to some degree he sought me out, but I, I don't know, that's hard to say. I'm, I'm trying to think, I've slept since then, so it's it's been a while, but... Um, it just happened. There, <laughs> yeah, it just magically happened. No, so there were there were formal things that he did. Like there was a couple summers where he would have he would invite like a dozen men to come mm-hmm. study some aspect of theology every week, and we'd eat cookies that his his wife made and talk about some aspect of you know like the doctrine of God or something like that, and then just sort of talk about life in that kind of setting. Um, there are regular regular but not set or formal meetings, you know, just in the day-to-day life interacting with him. And he was just very intentional. And I think this would be the the biggest part, whether you're meeting regularly or not, he was intentional to ask about specific spiritual disciplines or, you know, sanctification, you know, what, what things is God showing you right now? Mm-hmm. Um, how are you growing in your faith? Um, and then, you know, would follow up regularly throughout that time. So... I mean, I, I was also intentionally looking for his guidance as well. Um, so I wasn't like I was just kind of sitting there passively and he was pursuing me. Um, you know, I was involved in different ministry things on campus as well. So there was just some level of connection there already. So I, th- I think it's a both and. I think at the end of the day, like my advice would be find people to disciple. And if you need discipleship, find people to disciple you. Like, mm-hmm. don't sit around passively and wait for somebody to show up and then say, you know, nobody's reaching out to me. You can pursue them as well. Mm-hmm. Find people that are mature and godly and learn from them. Um, but also, like, we have a responsibility, I think, to also find people to pour into their lives as well. Yeah, that's good. There's long, eloquent waxing. That's good. Or not that so was eloquent, rather eloquent. Or not so eloquent. That's good. 
Um, <clears throat> what was the question again? How discipleship growing up, and then how we're doing it now? Yeah. Or yeah, how just, it's yeah. So, um, I went to public school. <laughs> <laughs> and you were safe. And, and that's right. And I turned out somewhat decently, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and Very my parents, uh, my parents were not. They were Christians, godly people. Took we attended church regularly. They loved the Lord, but it like family devotions were not a major part of our day. So like that regular reading that Ryan talked about in the home was not part of our part of our routine. And so I didn't really I didn't really experience what I would call a model of discipleship until I was in college. And in fact, my mentor in college is uh, in that picture mm-hmm. right up there in the office. And it's pretty cool. Maybe I'll take a picture of it. You should take a picture that. of it and post it. Yeah. Um, his name is Earl Shute, and he was the um, campus crusade director, uh, which I guess it's crew now, right? So I, he was <clears throat> he was the crew director on our on our campus, and he was also the chaplain for our football team. So um, a couple things that he did that stuck out to me that were helpful, and it, and I would. St- I guess hearing your questions you asked Ryan, like I didn't seek him out. I didn't have that model in my head, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, uh, if that makes any sense. So he, uh, I actually was originally um, approached by one of the crew staff members to just walk through the four spiritual laws. And he just, I mean, it was just, he was doing his job. He was, he was engaging new freshmen, new students, and sitting down and having meetings with them and it just that kind of thing makes me really appreciate the ministries that crew and other campus ministries have. Uh, when you have people like that that are being intentional about <clears throat> finding those who are not Christians and engaging them with the gospel, finding those who are Christians and and having this model of discipleship that moves them along in their spiritual walk. So I met with him for a bit and then got in touch with Earl through just through the football team and got to know him very closely. Um, he performed our wedding and and. Um, couple things he did was <clears throat> he would meet with me and a couple of other football players on the regular. So it, it was usually weekly, but if we couldn't make that happen for whatever reason, that it, we didn't, it wasn't like a hard-pressed thing. But we would uh, go through books of the Bible, just piece by piece by piece. He would give us big structures of books of the Bible so that it was just that training kind of element. But then the other thing, and this, is, this may be it just happened with him because of football, but like, he just he lived life with us. Yeah. That that I think is another element of discipleship that has I think helped me think through how I'm going to do it, you know, now in this phase of life. And then Ryan, like you mentioned, with with peers now, how we we just kind of live life together. It's not that we're sitting down with a formal Bible study mm-hmm. and a formal training session, but discipleship is happening as we live life together. And so with Earl in college, you know, he would go with us on the football trips. So. Um, we got to hang out with him uh, during our downtimes on away football trips, and he would be there with us. And we just got to goof and have a good time. You know, if there was, if we were at our place and our season was over because we stunk and the national championship was on and Alabama was in it because they always are, and he was an Alabama fan, um, you know, he would invite us over to watch the game. And so it was just that kind of living life together that was really, I think, telling for me. So. Just have a huge appreciation for Earl, and in college I had several people like that, but none of them that were that intentional. Um, they were intentional for the season I was with them, but not throughout the course of my college years. And so, um, when I came to seminary, I, uh, I actually desired that model because now I knew it, I'd seen it, 
and so you know you try to think through who's going to fill that gap for for you here now that you've moved to a new area or whatever and um being here the thought of like a seminary professor filling that gap was appealing but that's very demanding on yeah. them <laughs> I forgot what I was uh, talking about. Seminary, seminary prof. Yeah, so to, to try to find a seminary professor to to uh, who now are kind of those leader figures in in your life to fill that discipleship gap is um it was hard. It's very demanding on them, and kind of now being in that Bible college professor role, it really is. Like I mean, you get guys coming to you who say, "Hey, I would like to be discipled," and you're like, "Dude, I would love to do it." But I don't have, I mean, oh, yeah. if you meet a half an hour with 10 guys, you know, that's five hours a week that you're devoting to it, which isn't a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, just logistically, yeah, that's logistically that's hard that, yeah. to do. I, when I got to seminary, the discipleship model was less of that mentor, air quotes, mentor type figure to more of this peer type figure. Um, being involved in the local church, being shepherded by the pastors, and that sort of thing became the model yeah. for discipleship. And and um, then now on this side of the coin, kind of the idea of how I'm thinking of this model now for others being the demand on the professor and others wanting discipleship. The way I do it now is I meet with a group of guys. So I have a group of guys that I meet with once a week. And... Um, and that way I can knock out when I say knock out like I don't mean this to no, sound check them off yeah, just yeah, like yeah, a right. check off like, but, right. but this is an efficient way I think to do it um, I've got five guys that I meet with and, and in one hour we can all teach them to live life together yeah. but also teach them curriculum if you want to say that we're going through the book of Romans right now so that has been a I think so far a, a good model for doing that move on from some of that so like one I think moving into the seminary environment both of us were married mm-hmm. so that that already changed the dynamic of like when you're in college and you're living in a dorm or whatever or living yeah, that's around right. campus um, as a you know single dude you've got so much time even though it didn't feel like it at the time it, it was a ridiculous amount of time that you had I don't have class until noon. That's right. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> Probably. I'll sleep till 11.55. <laughs> that still um, happens, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to get my assignments done. <laughs> How? <laughs> How could you not? <laughs> How could you not accidentally get them done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Stumbled upon and you're done. I didn't um, get the reading done this week because I was sleeping. sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Eating and stuff playing ping pong so yeah being married one i think changes changes that dynamic of what you're able to do and and then also i think like you mentioned that the environment of the local church mm-hmm. then fills so I, I i feel like college is just this very unique time where you're just in this intensified life together kind of situation where even in seminary some people can be in that place and and there there are some aspects of it where you are um but i think Primarily for most people, that's going to land in a local church. And so, one, again, like I mentioned earlier, as the individual, one, you're seeking to invest and involve yourself in the local church enough mm-hmm. that you are you are rubbing shoulders with other like-minded people and people who can cause you to grow and that you can also help cause them to grow. Mm-hmm. I, I had a two-part thing here, and I don't remember what the other part is. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally losing that. But So, 
local church involvement, that's that's where you'll primarily get a lot of your discipleship now. And, and you know, it, it makes sense too, especially so you're married, you've got kids. I don't I don't have hours and hours of time that I can invest outside of those responsibilities, among other things, to, to just spend hours and hours discipling people in some formal way. But if we're at the same church, we're in the same group of some kind, yep. then then you've got life together there. That's what yeah, that's what I was gonna just say too, is that it it's not that you redefine discipleship, but you just have to define it clearly. When you say the word discipleship, a lot of people think about the model, yeah, not what's actually happening. So like I think discipleship is this kind of continual learning and experiencing the Christian life together in right. community that may or may not have a formal structure to it. Yeah. Right. So, you know, but it's still moving in a certain it is, direction. It is. Yeah. And very clearly in a certain direction, yeah. but that's distinguished I think from those who would say I don't have a community. I don't have. I'm not finding. I'm not being invested in. Right. Which goes back to what you said earlier. Like you go invest in others and yeah. see what find people that can invest if you're, yeah. if you're needing that. Yeah. And if you're involved in that local church, you're involved in that community, then you will be being discipled and you will be discipling. Mm-hmm. Can I say will yeah. be being discipled? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I just did. I'm not going to work out the grammar of that, but anyway. Yeah, like, okay. Okay. the uh, so that mantra of life touching life is something that, that Northam really um, hammered into to Liz and I um, through our college years. But I, I'm curious because for all three of us, like, we really saw it and experienced it in college. I'm wondering about just within the local church, how we can can better disciple so that when you go to college it's not a oh wow I can learn all this but a continuation a deepening of and a, a further push and I'm not saying all local churches don't have that sure I'm just saying uniquely for all three of us it was eye-opening at college where and maybe that's just because of maturity and age and life circumstances. Yeah, I think what I would say about that is that I don't know that quali- uh, qualitatively college was any different than any other phase of my life, yeah. but it was an intensification of that mm-hmm. because of just the, the day in and day out you're yeah. there and your responsibilities are pretty singular. I mean, you're yeah. you're there, you're living on campus presumably, you're, you're going to class, you're involved in that community. And I think, you know, before college, the way that I experienced that was in my local church and my family, both immediate family and extended family, you know. So if you're gathering for family gatherings, there was a a major aspect of discipleship going on there because my family, by and large, were all believers. And similarly, after college, being involved in the local church, that same kind of discipleship is happening. It's just not as intense but I think if you're not, if you don't have that as part of your model, if you don't have that in your mind, it's not going to happen. Or if it does, you're not going to recognize it for what it is. So, I mean, that when we talk about peer discipleship kind of things now, you know, if we just get together and goof off and watch football games and eat pizza and do whatever, there will be some discipleship that happens. Just be, I mean, if we're following the Lord, it's going to come out somewhat in what we're doing. But there's also a level of intentionality that we have to have with one another. How can I pray for you? What are you reading in the Word? What have you been learning in the Word recently? You know, you can you can do that in a local church environment. 
in some sense, just as easily as you can in college, the difference is going to be the level of intensity. And that's what I'm saying. If you're not there, if you're not showing up to church either to disciple or be discipled, then it's just not going to happen. And, uh, you know, what I try to encourage people is get in church and get in a community within that church where you're going to encounter them at least once a week. And if you're not feeling close to them, if you're not feeling like you're being discipled, first thing you should look at is, are you there? Are you even present? And, you know, sometimes that that will make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, that's not the case everywhere. Yeah. You know, the kind of community we have around here, the kind of church that we're all a part of, it can very easily happen. Yeah. Uh, Adam, biggest fear for somebody starting in discipleship, whether being discipled or wanting to disciple somebody? Mm, biggest fear... I know you don't feel fear. I understand. I don't. That, but no, like... I'm very stoic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my biggest my biggest fear as an observer, or what do I think the biggest fear for someone is? Sure. All right. So let me give you my biggest fear as an observer would be that either party expects more out of it than what it's able to deliver, hmm. because then. If the person who's being discipled expects to become fully sanctified within a semester, that's an overstatement, but if they have that high expectation of what this is going to look like, then they'll be disappointed and it'll be a failure and discipleship doesn't work in their mind. If it's the person discipling expecting you know, to see all these little Jesuses running around underneath their tutelage, then they're going to be disappointed and discipleship looks like a failure to them. So having too high of an expectation of it as an observer on either side, I think, would be my fear for discipleship models. So to the point that people think it doesn't work, it, I think that discipleship has to, be a, it has to be approached with this long-term kind of mentality. And, of course, we all mentioned college, which was a four- or five-year stint or whatever it was, but, like, I don't think Earl was expecting to change us the first year, you know. And even to this day, I know one of my good buddies that discipled, that he discipled along with us, who was one of our offensive linemen, squats 715 pounds three times. Oh, Huge dude. Yeah, just throw that in there. That's one thing I remember about the guy. <laughs> and his awesome sense of humor. It's anyway, like Volkswagen. <laughs> like, even to this day, he'll, like, you know, Earl's still in touch with him and mm-hmm. still, uh, you know, knows what's going on in his life. And so... That's a long-term kind of model of living life together that is very different from just the, uh, I have a discipler, I'm going to change, or I am discipling, they're going to change. It, it just, I don't think that expectation is realistic. Uh, biggest fear, I'm trying to think if I have any fears related to the group of guys that I'm discipling now. I mean, I don't, so... I hope this doesn't sound bad. I don't know what it even means now that I'm thinking about it. Like, I'm saying it in my head, and I'm kind of like, that sounds awful. But, like, I don't fear that I'm going to lead them astray. I don't, like, I don't have a fear that they're, that if they don't turn out, you know, or if one of them falls off the wagon, that's my fault. Like, I I don't have those kinds of fears. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's good or bad. But I don't know that I have a lot of fears with those guys I think I might, I mean, having picked five guys out of all the guys on this campus, um, I might have a fear that 
that I've left someone out who desperately needs that kind of community, you know, that that's crossed my mind. Like, hey, well, what about this guy? Oh, what about that guy? Oh, man, I bet that guy, I bet he just, I bet he really doesn't have a ton of friends. And I didn't even think about that. So maybe that would be one that I would, I could throw out there, but I don't. I think kind of the, the first part you said, I think the, the, the flip side of that, the opposite end would be that we are not at all intentional about mm-hmm. discipleship. That would be a fear that I have. And I think what we often see, yeah, um, even at people who regularly attend church, they you know show up, go to a worship service, and then turn around and leave, and they're not involving themselves in other people's yeah. lives. And some, at the end of the day, people just need to be shown how that works. Yeah. And sometimes it's not it's not like people don't want that or don't care about that. They just it's it's a foreign mm-hmm. kind of model. And a, like we can show them that. Yeah, your scenario is probably more that is more common than my fear of yeah. high expectations because most time most of the time people are not engaging in discipleship. Yeah. So kind of another similar to what you said about leaving people out and it can kind of be a fear that you know like like you said at the end of the day we just have to rely on on God's plan that you know there's there's no possible way that we could disciple everyone and so we have to discriminate somehow like who are we going to reach out to <gasps> yeah I know discrimination is a really good useful word especially now today. um <laughs> It, it certainly can. You, you have to have what it's modifying. <laughs> so anyway, I'll get off that soapbox. Dr. Seals actually has a good discussion about that in his intercultural communication class. Does he? Yeah. See, there you go. That discrimination is necessary. This is where the, the link pops up in the It's, in the it's when it leads to, uh, when it leads to uh, what's the other word? Like hatred. Mm. Like no. you, you have to discern between. Anyway, yeah. carry on. So one of the things that I would try to do in our... In our Bible fellowship group at church is that that I would try to just involve myself on a weekly basis with the people that were in our small group. Yeah. So we have you know, thirty to fifty attenders slash members of our our Bible fellowship group, and then we would have four to five small groups within that. And you know, for the six months or whatever that we were together, like those were the people that I tried to stay in contact with every week. Yeah. And, you know, it's not. A, perfect model it's not like the biblically prescribed model but it was a model where I was kind of like I can't be involved in 50 people's lives every single week so here's a group that I'm naturally going to run into let's make that a focus for six months and then you know the the rest of the people you interact with as you encounter them you know passing them at church or if if they come to your mind you know shoot them a text or call them or whatever Um, but you know you do have to discern, discriminate to some degree who you're involved with and just be intentional with that and sort of leave the trust that the Lord has guided that yeah Yeah, but Philippians says that he who who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it so it's It's his work it's his work, Mm -hmm. he'll do it through his people and I think that's the means but as we are are faithful to him he will bring those relationships yeah Um, And I think thing. it's really good what both of you guys have kind of said, and Ryan, you brought it out especially, just that discipleship is two-way. Don't don't just sit in, on, a, on a log and wait for somebody to come along and be like, hey, I'm going to disciple you. Mm-hmm. Um, but seek out and 
watch how people live and say that's how and what I want to look like in five years and ten years and thirty years. So you need to go be around that person and say, how did you get here? And for those people who are a little bit further along in the journey, don't be sitting on a log saying, well, until somebody asks me to disciple them, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to sit here. Go find the new believers. Go find the new members, the college students, the high school students, the middle school kids who need that relationship and need to know how to read and, and study scripture. Yeah. I thought about uh, a couple of times I've thought about it and then I keep forgetting it but the idea of like it's come up a couple of times the idea of a better definition of discipleship within the church so like I think you asked Caleb why the uh, why was it in college until we understood this like why did our local churches not give us this model clearly and then Ryan you mentioned something similarly that like the local church some people can be involved in discipleship in the local church, but they don't know it because they don't really see that that's what it is. Yeah. So, so just that whole dynamic, I think, within the local church of clearly defining what is discipleship, that it is this living life together. It doesn't have to be a formal model. Certainly have a formal model set up or where, where discipleship can happen. People can learn from one another, encourage one another, rebuke one another. That model is necessary, but I think if we just... I guess the exhortation would be for uh, what I'm thinking in my mind for those listening would be like those that would be aspiring pastors, you know, work that definition into the DNA of of your preaching and into the DNA of your church so that your people do recognize that that's what's happening. The DNA of their living. Yeah, that's right. Live out how you want this to look. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then secondly, I, I think just, I mean, challenge myself as a father to, to work that definition living life together into the DNA of our families um, of just of continually sharpening one another you know just encouraging our kids instead of exasperating them not everybody gets a trophy in our house but I can always find something good that you know <laughs> no, that, and that's I'm usually the, the one that the does not get the trophy in our house yeah yeah the sharpening is uh, even learning what that means you know because sometimes that means People need to intentionally not get trophies, and that's part of discipleship. Learning, yeah, that's right. Learning how to do that. Sometimes yeah. it means you, quote, give a trophy because that person needs to be built up and encouraged. Yeah. Um, but if that's not clearly takes, taught, the person that gets sharpened yeah. by not getting the trophy gets checked. Because yeah. that's why, I mean, it, discipleship is a lifelong process, yeah. and you'll get better at it, assuming that you're seeking the, the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord and... You know, I guess in the one sense, then don't be, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, don't be discouraged when progress seems slow. Um, just keep being faithful. All right, define. Jesus uh, is my mentor. <laughs> I go to church with just Jesus. Jesus and me. Um, define discipleship, and then we'll, we'll be done. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded them. <laughs> Good. And that's, I mean... Now fill that. You were out. quoting, not, not you. That's right. I th- th- not thus says Ryan. Um, <laughs> my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said that. <laughs> um, yeah, What's I mean, the that, foxes have holes and birds have birds nests. have nests, but the, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Take up your cross and follow me. There's your discipleship. So yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the great commission is you're making go and make disciples of all nations. You know, it's that's evangelism is a strategic part of discipleship, but it does not equal discipleship, nor is it distinct from mm-hmm. evangelism. I think evangelism is like the first stage of discipleship, and we 
teach others to observe everything that Jesus has commanded us in all of Scripture. So that's why you have to read Scripture. Um, anyway, obviously that's very simplistic. Like yeah. that's a very like just yeah. distilled down definition that you know we need to know what it what does sharpening look like yeah. in this case or in this case, and that's why it's discipleship is not an easy thing. You can't make it a program. Yeah. Programs can help you do it well, but I mean it, it, it will literally take a lifetime to flesh out what discipleship. Yeah, I agree. I got nothing to add to that. Hmm. Except that the all of scripture thing, what went through my mind was this still on this living life together thing that that part of that teaching is the idea of wisdom in all of scripture yeah. where we don't have a right and wrong a this and that a, we don't have that answer you you're teaching by living life with other people you are teaching and sharpening how to make wise decisions and how to make yeah. discerning decisions that's also part of quote teaching them all that I've right. commanded in the wisdom literature if you would you know, kind of narrow that down, but so it includes both teaching them content of scripture, but then also teaching them application of content in real life. Something I just I wrote down while you guys were talking uh, earlier <clears throat> was that discipleship is ministering the life changing grace of God in the messiness of daily life and relationships. Or to rip off Northland, life touching life, but I think that's kind of what we've mm-hmm. kind of come around to, where it's. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a 12-week study. It is a lifelong mm-hmm. discipline, a lifelong program. not the right word, but a lifelong relationship with people. Okay. And that's why pastors, leaders within churches that stay for a long time see f- long-term fruit mm-hmm. because that's what discipleship is. It's a yeah. long-term relationship, and, and it's hard. It's not easy. It's farming, mm-hmm. right? That's why Paul uses farming. Yeah, yeah so it think, takes intentionality and effort and longevity. and yeah. One thing I would add to, to sort of clarify what we're saying, and I think we all get this, but it, I think it can be missed, is that teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you is not merely teaching people what a, quote, Christian looks like, mm-hmm. as if it's a set of instructions, but like, we are teaching them how to know God. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, and which means we also have to know God. And I mean, I think, you know, even in a theological institution, especially that, that we can reduce discipleship to a, learning a set of skills or a, a packet of information, um, and not teach. That's why I think prayer is such a, a massively necessary part of discipleship, um, and not like prayer to say the things you need to say, but like to recognize our need for Christ, our need for, for God's work in our lives. And um, Anyway, I think we all assume that and we all know that, um, but I, I feel like that needs to be said, like that discipleship is knowing God. I mean, Packer's book is just a phenomenal illustration of that, but that's good. Anyway, that's a really, really helpful distinction. Good. Anything else before we, we wrap it up for this uh, this quarter? <laughs> <laughs> semi-annual podcast uh, no I think that was a good one that's good I um with our I mean I think we distilled it down pretty well based on the several hours of pre-show prep that we did it's true that was uh, and 16 hours of recording that we've done now. <laughs> the, the pages of notes and notes that we had to distill down into a few yeah minutes. I mean <laughs> our book's forthcoming and by forthcoming I mean 
pay it. It's, it, it is it's, now. It's way for it is now. <laughs> it might be written in eternity. But. That's right. Well, until next time, remember there is ultimate joy uh, to have in this life. It's found in Jesus Christ. Pursue Him.